The warmest of greetings to you, and welcome to Happily Ever Teaching. This is the podcast to help you enthrall your learners in every subject under the sun using the best teaching method known to science, storytelling. And if I seem a little bit distracted, it's because I've just realized how applicable the warmest of greetings is to the story we're about to tell. Uh, to do this, we feature special guest educators who are passionately keen to empower your children. I am storyteller Chip Cahoon, and with me today is... Hi, I'm Helen, and I currently work with reception and year one children in Buckinghamshire. And I'm Nicola, and I currently work with year six children in Hampshire, and I've also spent time in my career hoping to motivate and inspire the next generation of teachers at Teacher Training College. And we're very pleased to have you, our listener, with us as we explore personal social health and emotional education with our dramatisation of the Great Fire of London. So, for all the fun and effectiveness of story-led learning, let's don our finest hats, sprinkle some fairy dust, and hang tight to our magic carpet as we dive into this week's story. Sir Tommy thought becoming Mayor of London would be great. After all, it made him almost as powerful as the King. But Sir Tommy soon realised that with great power comes great frustration, such as when he's woken in the dead of the night by the city's watchman. One watchman looked apologetic. Sorry, sir, but we thought you should know. There's a fire on Pudding Lane. Sir Tommy looked at the grandfather clock in the hall. It had just gone three o'clock in the morning. Can't it wait till sunrise? If you please, sir, the other watchman said. It's spreading rather quick, sir. Rolling his eyes, Sir Tommy moaned, to no one in particular, Great! That's just great! What can I do? I'm not a fireman! Why do people expect the mayor to do everything? But he had to go. Otherwise he could lose his job. Sliding his feet into his slippers, he said, Come on then, you'd better take me there. Pudding Lane was just two corners away from Sir Tommy's mansion on Gracechurch Street, so it was only a short walk away. A few wooden houses were on fire, with the biggest blaze coming from the baker's house. The baker and his family were huddled together across the street, looking very shocked and worried, their faces covered with ash. According to the watchmen, their maid had started the fire by accident, and they thought she might still be stuck in the building. But now he had seen the fire himself, Sir Tommy said, Dish! This is a tiny fire! A woman could spit on that and put it out! You didn't need to wake me up for this! The watchmen looked at each other, stunned. Look, Sir Tommy went on, didn't I buy a whole load of leather buckets for you, watchmen? You've a river full of water over there, the Thames. Get yourselves organised. Use those buckets and use that river to put this fire out. And with that, Sir Tommy stomped off home. The night watchmen would sort it. The other people waking up in burning houses, they would come out to help. Sir Tommy didn't have to worry. And if you and your young learners want to find out if Sir Tommy really doesn't have to worry, you can download our sister podcast, Fables and Fairy Tales, or search our website, epictales.co.uk, for Sir Tommy's Fire. 
there you'll find a video of me telling the story that you can share with your children. And if you sign up as an Epic Educator, you'll also get a copy as a paperback illustriously illuminated by comic book artist Dave Hingley, as well as the full audiobook for you to download at any time. Right now, though, let's begin our discussion with Helen and Nicola here by asking, folks, did you think this story was great? And if so, which kind of great do you mean? I really, really thought this story was great. I mean, I love The Great Five London anyway as a as a teaching topic <laughs> in Key Stage 1, but I really liked the way this story was told with Thomas Bloodworth's point of view and him as the central character for a change. For a change? So you, you'd never seen it told with his point of view before? No. Um, hmm. I, I know of his role in it and, you know, of the, the fact that he was the mayor and he, you know, had some responsibility, yeah. but not actually in a story told in this way with from his point hmm. of view. Good. I'm, I'm glad we, we so far anyway, uh, with this, well, with the audience of you, Helen, we have so far managed to achieve originality. How about with yeah. you though, Nicola? Absolutely. It's great hearing um, a story told from a, someone's perspective because that could link into so many areas of learning, certainly for Key Stage 2, retelling things, recounts. Really interesting to hear his opinions, his attitudes, his, his it wasn't my fault, um, his denial of responsibility. Yeah, totally flipped it almost on its head because obviously we, everybody is familiar with the story and it's often told in a in more of a recount type way about what happened. But hearing it from a different perspective, it just brings up lots of different ideas to discuss with children and lots of PSHE ideas as well. Yes. Yeah, well, let's start talking about some of those then. Which which PSHE ideas do you want to start with for ages 7 to 11? Um, got quite a few, actually. I think um, one is responsibility that um, if you take on responsibility, you need to understand what that means and then how to act in that way. Um, in the school that I've been teaching at, responsibility was one of our sort of core values. Certainly, it was a year six, age 10 to 11 value that they take on responsibility in the school. And, and obviously, Sir Tommy took on responsibility, but kind of pushed it away as well. It, that's not my, I'm not able to yeah. do that and, and kind of kept denying that he was able to do it. So what is responsibility and talking about the responsibilities that we have to each other, but also we have in roles in our schools and our, our society as well. I also think, bless him, Sir Tommy didn't ask for help. That's very true. <laughs> That's a good point. He almost panicked. It's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. How can I make that decision about that money? And I'll, And it's almost like he's a one-man band. And if you take on responsibility, you actually should be also be part of a team. And he obviously didn't mm. have that team around him. So I think the idea of asking for help when you find things difficult, because let's face it, we all find things difficult in life at times. Whatever age we are, we're all learning and sort of how we can ask for help and who we could ask for help. And obviously using the story to think, well, who could Sir Tommy have asked for help? Because he had a, a lot of power, yeah. but didn't have that support network. It's one of the big conundrums of education in a way that we're trying to help young learners to become self-sufficient. But at the same time, one of the things that makes humanity so unique is its ability to work as teams mm -hmm. and to work together. Yeah. And really, I, I like to think that one of the best tenets of having great power is also having great responsibility to delegate. I usually <laughs> yeah. would, would say that um, your job as a manager or as a producer or as a director is everything and then delegate. That's right. And the people around you feeling empowered by that. So when, when they asked him, can we put out the fire, that they had that relationship where they could talk about it and they could make a decision, whereas he was afraid to make decisions. Because again, making decisions is something that's important too. Yeah. And it, it's scary sometimes. And sometimes we don't always make the right decisions, but we have to do it if we are 
in a position of responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. I think making decisions is one of those things that children can find very difficult. And it usually their inability to make decisions or, or their decision fear can sometimes present itself in other ways. So they look as if they don't have knowledge or if they're um, not clever or if they're not imaginative, when often it's really just that they've got the idea in their head or they've got more than one idea in their head and they're trying to choose between them. So I don't know, do you, do you have any activities or um, suggestions for how you can improve children's decision making? Giving them scenarios. So, I mean, obviously, they, you could use this scenario if, if they were Sir Tommy at the river and having to make that decision, what would they do? But giving them tricky scenarios. So, if you're preparing them for a change, say, for example, a new school that they might be going on to or other changes in their life giving them a scenario linked to that situation. And I've done things before like freeze framing. So they, they act it out and then I clap and they freeze. And then you ask each of the people, how are you feeling? But also thinking about if you make almost like a tree diagram. So if you make one choice, what might happen? And if you make another choice, what might happen? So actually knowing that there'll be different consequences, but actually they all might be okay as in they might come to the same good place. but it's, yeah. And it's okay to make mistakes. I think that's part of a culture of a school as well and a classroom that, you know, someone could put their hand up or give an answer and, and it'd be wrong and that's fine because actually yeah. we are all embracing everybody's ideas and one idea will lead to another idea, like I said before anyway. Yeah. I, I was, um, as you were talking, Nicola, I was thinking this, this story is really good for that people make mistakes. So Tommy makes... <laughs> Several mistakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I like that he's the central character here and that he makes those mistakes and he's not perfect <laughs> because there's so yeah. much to talk about with children about that and being brave enough to make decisions and brave enough to make mistakes. Because I think from a young age, people find that hard. They find mm. it hard that actually we get things wrong. Yeah, because in school, we're all about a culture of, oh, you got that right. Well done. That's a yeah. tip. That's a, but you're absolutely right. We, we need to be far more open to that. I mean, Celebrating the mistakes. Yes, totally. It's okay to fail. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think another great thing about this story is that it shows how sometimes a mistake only looks like a mistake in hindsight, because uh, I remember when I used to tell this story with fellow storyteller Amy Robinson, we used to do this as a double act, and we would always end it with a bit of a conversation about where Sir Tommy could have made a difference. Um, perhaps he could have had um, homes being knocked down sooner, um, but he would have needed to get permission from the king there. And if he had just done it by himself, it would have cost him a lot of money. All of the cost would have been on him. Mm. So yes, he would have bankrupt London. You can also say that about you know him building the houses early if he changed the wooden houses to stone houses. Yes, that would have been a good idea for preventing the fire, but it wouldn't have been a good idea for protecting the coffers of London because of all the money that would have been spent on relocating people and things like that. So every single decision he makes is the right one for at least one reason. It's kind of looking at um, pros and cons, isn't it? Just helping children to make lists of pros and cons, maybe, is a good activity. It would be interesting with the, the older age group, I guess, would be more suitable to almost take them, maybe before you tell the story, 
almost take them through the story and get them to make those decisions at each point. So if you were Tommy hmm. Bloodworth, you could do this, 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 or this. <laughs> what would you do? And then do, um, I think you used to get books like that, didn't you? Yeah, it was like, like choose you, your own adventure. Yeah, I remember choose, that as a kid. Um, <laughs> really good fun. And then you're kind of getting them to make decisions in his shoes. Yeah. It's quite a safe way for them to make decisions without real life consequences. Absolutely. Just consequences within the story. And if they don't know the story of the Fire of London, if you're sharing this with them for the first time uh, as your introduction to the story, then you could actually pause the story while you're going along and see what they think. Yeah. So pause the story when he's considering whether to change the wooden houses for stone ones and realising that it's going to cost him money. See if the children make the decision to, to do it then and then see if they change their mind once the, the fire's yeah. happened. And You could almost have speech bubbles, like a cartoon of him and speech bubbles, like what different yes, things yeah. he could do. Fantastic. What other ideas do you have for PSHE down at your end of the school, Helen, for ages four to seven? Um, well, I had a couple of ideas. One of them is quite similar. Mm -hmm. I've called it, whose job is it? <laughs> so yeah. whose job is it to do all these things? I think that would be a good starter to talk about responsibilities in class, as we've already mentioned. But thinking about the younger age group, one of my little pet hates in, in school is uh, there might be a like a picture book sitting, you know, on the floor in the book corner mm. and my young children will just walk over it <laughs> yeah. instead of picking it up. So it's kind of like, <laughs> whose job is it to pick up a book on the floor? If you, you know, whose job is it? And, and have that discussion about responsibilities as a class and make agreements about whose job is it to do these things and why should we do them? So kind of similar, yeah. but slightly different to what Nicola talked about. And then come up with a list of, you know, either use it as a way to delegate different jobs in the class to different children or mm. to have some agreements that actually is everybody's responsibility. Picking up litter, picking up books from the floor, picking up pens, putting lids on pens, even if you didn't take them off. <laughs> All of these mm. things are very everyday things in a key stage one classroom. It's interesting hearing you speak there because you, you use the word job as in, you know, whose job is it to mm. do this? Um, but then you said, is it everyone's responsibility? True. And I yes. wonder whether you would, yeah, <laughs> I wonder whether you you would look into the difference between job and responsibility. I think that'd be a good idea to actually, even at a young age, I hadn't even thought of that to decide maybe what jobs everyone has in class, but also what responsibilities everyone has and how we can yeah. all be not like Tommy Floodworth in many ways and, yes, and not go, yeah. oh, it's not, why should I do this? How am I supposed to do this? But actually come up with that. Actually, how can we do this? So a positive approach to being a class and, and looking after each other and our classroom. Yeah. So one person whose job it is to pick up the books, but everybody has a responsibility yes. of picking up a book if they see it on the floor. If they see it on the floor. It's interesting randomly. how that theme of responsibility changes. So with the younger children, it's about the classroom. And then with the older children, it might be about the school and the community. So you're kind of developing yeah children in yeah. that way too. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Start them off young. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> from, from the beginning. <laughs> and then the other idea I had, you come across it a lot in schools and again, particularly thinking of my reception year one children, uh, which I've called accident or on purpose. Um, yeah, <laughs> the, um, okay. In the Great Fire of London, it's this idea that there was an accident to start with. Um, is it the maid accidentally left the fire on? Uh, mm. Possibly. I don't think anyone really knows. Yeah, there are lots of, lots of proposed causes yeah. for it, aren't there? But that's a common one. Um, and then I thought it would be interesting to have a discussion. This would be more of a discussion-based role-play activity about what's an accident and what's on purpose. And Because often I'll find children will get quite irate with each other when someone has done something accidentally 
you know, it's just an accident. Maybe someone, you know, spills paint on and someone else's drawing gets ruined and that someone else gets very, very cross. And I yeah. thought this would be a good way in to talk about what is an accident and what's on purpose. And I'd start that by having a discussion with the children about the, the maid, maybe even have an adult enroll as the maid for them to talk hmm. to the maid. They might even accuse her quite a lot to be set up. This is the maid. What are you going to say to her? You know, the Great Five London's happened. You know, she, she did this thing. She didn't put the fire out properly. Would one of their first questions be... Why did you do it? Exactly. Why mm. Why did you do that? Why did you do this? And and again, I get that a lot in class. Children will say, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And it, it, they didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> mm. And it's, it's helping them to, to have a bit of empathy, I guess, is where I go with this. A bit of empathy for the other side yeah. and for when accidents happen. And acknowledging that actually it can be upsetting if, if your painting's got ruined or if, if there's been an enormous fire. Um, it can be quite upsetting. Um, yeah, and, and it can be quite upsetting as well to be accused yes. of doing it on purpose when actually it's an accident. I think that's why the cycle of irritation grows, doesn't it? Because yeah. someone doesn't like being accused when they only did it accidentally. Absolutely. And knowing how to apologise, knowing how to hold your hands up, say, actually, I'm really sorry. I made a mistake there. Because children yeah. generally find that difficult and need to be taught how to do that often as well. Which goes back to what we were saying earlier, doesn't it? About how it's quite hard to, to make mistakes and to understand that people get things mm. wrong. But mm. And actually, I put in my notes for this activity um, slash session slash theme to almost teach children, particularly, you know, young children, some stock phrases to say things like, I'm sorry, it was an accident. Or on the other side of it, it's okay. I know it was an accident. Actually, some stock phrases to help them to recognize when things are an accident and to recognize when they need to say sorry when they've they've made a mistake but also on the other side to recognize when they need to to almost forgive someone you know it's a, it's a, yeah. i know it was an accident you know you you swore at my painting but i know it was an accident it's okay and how to use eye contact and not ignore like i'm sorry and not make eye contact yeah. but actually to properly look at somebody's importance and for some reason i noticed that particularly the last academic year i don't know why it might be in the cohort or it might be related to covid which we've talked about before yeah related to lockdown um, i yeah. i noticed particularly a few uh, a little group of children that just found they got very cross with each other around things that were mistakes or accidents or really didn't matter <laughs> you know it really didn't so i thought the fact that this or the potential fact that this fire was started by a maid making a mistake could be used to open up that discussion and and that culture in a classroom yeah and what's coming to me hearing you raise this topic is the idea that sir tommy does make mistakes clearly yes. um in this story and he must regret them at the end because he's bemoaning all of the money that he's lost. But you still don't actually see him saying sorry. Mm. So one way that you could perhaps give your children a bit of practice is to write his letter of apology. That would That's be a great idea. idea. And I, I mean, I don't know who he'd write it to, whether he'd be writing it to the king or whether he'd be writing it to um, the people of London or to the firemen or any anybody in particular. Um, but e even then, I mean, that's probably a literacy exercise that we're blending into here, but you could see how different the apologies would be for each yeah. of those different groups of people. And what would he be apologising for? And would that change history? Because you look at any sources on him and he's blamed, you know, he's certainly blamed for his inadequacies as mayor. He is, yes. yeah. yeah. So history blames him, but would that yeah. apology letter change that whole perception? Who knows? Mm, that could be yeah. very interesting. Yeah. God, I really wish there was an example I could just pluck out of thin air of when an apology has made a difference. Can you guys think of any? 
No, I can't actually. It's not looking good for humanity when we ask that question. It's not looking good for I, humanity. I think, I think people, I think sometimes people not apologising changes the political atmosphere yes, and people's yeah. perceptions. Yeah. I think on a personal level, it does make a big difference though. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, RE is another subject, but if you link it to RE, lots of religions encourage people to you know, reflect on their behaviour and say sorry. Mm. And that's sometimes in religion, there's examples where people might have done that. Hmm. Do either of you have any other PSHE topics to explore? Yes. Oh, <laughs> sorry. There's so many on this one. Um, two things. Careers advice. Um, he talked about having his dream job and, and that links beautifully <laughs> to careers. <laughs> I love that link. I hadn't, hadn't even occurred to me. It's like, I mean, well, you know, obviously we have our dream jobs being in education. You know, what, what would their dream job be? Because I think careers education sometimes is overlooked um, for children of our ages. And I think yeah. it's really mm. important to get an, a vision and idea and meet people from different careers. Another thing was um, obviously an obvious one, fire safety which comes into mm. PSHE. So the dangers of yeah. fire and keeping ourselves safe, maybe having somebody in from the local fire service to talk about that as well. We've had that in school yeah. quite a few yeah. times. Maybe thinking about their buildings, their homes, and what their escape route might be if there was a fire in their house. We've done that with the older children before. Okay, You could link that in quite neatly with the decision-making topic that you had earlier, couldn't mm. you, for thinking of um, their particular routes and what's going to be the safest yes. way, what's yes. going to be the best way, yep. or the fastest way. Yeah, we've often got children to draw a quick sketch of the upstairs in their house and actually work out, well, wait, there was a fire somewhere in the house, which way would you go? And to talk to their families about it as well. Mm. So yeah, fire safety, massive link there as well. And, and a strange one, but I still think it's important, hind Hindsight. <laughs> what would you do differently? What would he do differently? Mm. Hindsight's such a great thing that if you look back at something, you, you know, you might make different decisions. Um, in hindsight, would you have made different decisions yeah. at different points in your life? Maybe having people who've done different things in life coming into school and, and talking about decisions and what they may have done yeah. differently. You know, I think you could link that into your careers advice topic, actually, um, okay. because I did this recently with someone I was tutoring as part of the national tutoring program as a young lad who had been out of education for some time because of long COVID. And one of the things I encouraged him to do to help him get some enthusiasm for life back uh, was to write to some people who had the job that he really wanted to have in order to get some advice. And one of the questions that you can put into letters like that is, what would you have done differently if you knew about it, you know, or if you knew it would make a difference, that kind of thing. Um, so you're asking them, how did they manage to get the job? And is there anything that they would have done differently? And if your young learners actually send those letters off to their heroes, they're very likely to get letters back. I mean, if, mm. if their heroes are things like football scouts, as it was for this young lad, or firemen, or, or the queen, you know, those yeah. sorts of things. And if you get the, the letters back, then it can really help your young learners to get focused for the next stage of their education, can't it? Definitely. We've, in terms of careers, we have careers weeks at our school and it's just amazing. The children meet so many interesting people and mm -hmm. get so inspired. And the great thing about being online now is that you can have people from all over the world yeah. coming to speak yes. to, yeah. to your yeah. children. And people generally love talking about what they do and yeah. and sharing that. So I think, yeah, fantastic. To give children, like you said, something to work towards. You know, they're, they're learning in school, but eventually they're going to mm. be members of society, hopefully earning an income to support themselves and hopefully having something they love. 
And I think if they find a job they love, then they're going to be very happy human beings. So the killer question, of course, is was teaching your dream job, folks? Yes. Yeah. Was that said too quickly? But yes, 100%. (laughs) It still is. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love working with young minds and hopefully inspiring them and learning from them as well. It's it's the best job in the world. Uh, So you you haven't got a case of Sir Tommy yourself? No. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Helen? Yes, I think so. I didn't sort of go straight into teaching. I did a couple of years of other things, but then I realised I like to work with children. And we all know that you're so good at it. That's all we have time for in this episode, folks. If you'd like to talk to us about anything you've heard in this podcast, or if there's a subject you are soon to teach that you'd like us to cover, you can find us on social media using at Teach Happily, or leave us a review using your favorite podcast app. Please also share this podcast with your colleagues and help us start a story-led revolution in classrooms around the world, so children everywhere can learn in a way that's effective, memorable, and enjoyable all at the same time. Tomorrow, Sir Tommy and the people of Restoration London will help us teach English. But right now, it only remains for us to say cheerio, and we hope to hear your story soon. So, cheerio! And we hope to hear your story soon! soon.